It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking packs. Welcome back, ladies and gents. This is Stacking Pennies. I am Corey LaJoy, joined by the famous band of characters you now know, Mr. Chuck Bush. Hello, everybody. Ice Cold Blue Mountain takes Jonathan Merriman. Hello. And Pit Road Boats from Woe's Analyst, front tire changer for Austin Sendrix for Mustang, Arrival Flores. What it is, what it ain't. Could have used you this week. I don't know. <laughs> Could have used you this week. Uh, was it tight? Apparently not. Fell off. It sounded like they thought it was tight from video. I thought it was tight too. Um, we'll get into that here probably later, Boats and Woes, because we can talk about my woe of a day. It was short, 45 laps or however many, but we're going to talk to somebody whose day was not short, and it was the best possible outcome that you can ask for, Mr. Chase Briscoe. Is gonna join the show. Can't wait to talk to my buddy. But Chuck, I I gotta I gotta come clean with you. Tell me. I may have had a hand in that. Why? I may have had a hand in your bad day. So oh. you know how last week we talked about Ryan Flores using his his pit gun. Oh no! Did you On- shoot me with the air gun? I did not shoot you with an air gun. Finger gun. I, no, not even a finger gun. Bird. I was helping out with our Sights and Sounds franchise by running an audio bag, and I had a shotgun mic in my hand. Oh. But it was not like on a boom pole. It was just in the hand, and you're like it's a directional thing. So you have to point it at something to get the audio. That's what directional means. So driving off of pit road at the start of the race, I follow the 12 car out. Oh, you fucked him too. And then and, 12 minutes later, the 7 car drives by, and, and you I, shot So me. like during driver intros and all that like i'm holding the microphone up to the crowd and i'm doing this so you know my arms get a little tired because i'm a little weak my muscles have atrophied a little bit because i haven't been going to the gym you haven't and done when, any civil worry and nope. lately and when you came by two hands on it Ooh. followed it out yeah but and, I, I feel like chuck though if it's past one pit stop it's past statute limitations uh, shot's shot. Hey, look, it is a shotgun, and shotgun tends to the, their spread yeah, is more, spread. so it covers more space. You're not talking about so a single bullet. We were in turn two, shooting the start of the race and all that from right there, and I'm looking down at the bag, and I feel something hit me in the face. Was it a lug nut? It was not a lug nut. It was a wheel. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like it was it was particulate. I believe it was brake dust. Okay. Um, and then. I hear, oh, there's a tire rolling down the, 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 the dog leg. And I looked up and I see the tire going and they said, Corey LaJoy. And I went, oh, no. You knew it. I, I floresed. I it. didn't think about it on pit road, but in the turn, I was like, oh, no, I did this. I felt so. I felt bad. I felt really bad. Now, what about later when our dear friend Ryan Blaney spit on pit road? Did you feel bad about that? A little bit. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, no, those are the two that I actually like followed the car as it went down. So, I apologize. Stack and Penny's gunshot is undefeated. I, will, I got an idea. How about you not pointing at me? I, I will not. I won't be in Atlanta. Jesus. So I won't do it, and I apologize. Uh, but I, I need felt all the help I can get. I had to come clean and tell you that I may. It, it might not have been, you know, whatever. It could have been. It's the, never the been done on purpose. Like yeah. I've never shot at somebody on purpose, like thinking that you never going to ruin pew, their pew. day. Yeah. It just happens, yeah. and they're like, "Hey, no, it's fine. You got it, dude." I'll tell you this from the bottom of my heart, Chuck. Go f*** yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I fully expected that, and I, I will take that. And, uh, yeah. I yep. want you to go back and think about what you did to me this week. But uh, Oh, I thought about it all race. Man. It's I like, could, he's going to be pissed. I, uh, yeah. Now I know. Yeah. 
I'm glad you told me. Yeah. You think but, next time you do that, you might come like freelance and help Chuck out in the corners <laughs> and run run audio for him? My man is busy. So I could, I mean, I, I could have earned my keep some way yeah. instead of just sitting up in the hall or sulking to my sorrows. We we did get a good shot at the tire and it'll make uh, sights and sounds. So that's, you know. Cool. Can't good. wait to see that. It's the problem is. Shots. Yeah. The problem is, man, like looking at it with the, uh, and we'll get into it, Ryan, probably in the pit road boats and woes segment of, you know, what constitutes a tight tire versus a loose one and why. Some guys have loose wheels like Bubba did, and some guys um, there's some there's a op, there's a potential there where a wheel comes loose, but the lug nut stays on, right? And you just rattle around and you feel the loose tire and come out, come down pit road. Then there's the other times where tire comes right off. Uh, we don't know actually which one that was, but the wheel was not on the car after it hit the wall. You'll have that sometimes big time auto racing. But I wanted to get into a little bit interesting stat I saw on Twitter. Brad Keselowski's racing truck team now shut down, unfortunately, but they finished their driver lineup at one point in time, finished one with Chase Briscoe, two with Roswick Chastain, three Tyler Reddick, and four was Ryan Blaney. Is that a coincidence, Chuck, or is it a product of the development from Brad Keselowski racing? I think it's a, a product of Brad's eye for talent in a sense, right? Like, is it a coincidence that Brad Keselowski – okay, let's look at it like this. He has a team in the truck series that produced a lot of wins, right? He's got an eye for talent. Now he's working with one of the, you know, preeminent teams in the series in Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing, you know, Roush championship caliber team in the past, trying to bring it back. So he's got that eye for talent. Is that a coincidence that he's now made that move to that? Did I make any sense with what no. I just said? No, because no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the development. Ryan had some good points on it. So let's what he, he has to say. Well, yeah. uh, well yeah. I wondered, you know, like KBM is a stronger team than what BKR ever was, right? Thor Sport has won more championships than BKR ever did. But <clears throat> what did Kyle say? Go back to the beginning of the year. Somebody asked Kyle if Kurt was going to run one of his trucks. And what did he say? Got to pay for it. He said if he's got the money, right? So K- Kyle's team is pay to play. You have to pay to drive that car, whether it's Toyota paying the bill for one of their drivers to do it or, or you know, a kid with backing or a kid with a rich father. Uh, we won't beat around the bush, right? We'll just talk about that. Brad Brad had his sponsors, you know, and, and we talked to Chase in the hallway a little bit. And, you know, Chase was one of the only forward back guys that they had. You know, Brad went out and got, got those guys and found who he wanted. And it, it was a... It might have not been the strongest team as far as win numbers and everything, but when you look at what what the truck series is for, at the end of the day, is to to develop drivers. And as far as development, you see Austin winning the 500. You know, Blaney, Ross, Reddick, all these guys that have done really, really well for themselves. When I when I look at those four guys that finished one, two, three, four this week, in just in the context of BKR, all of what those guys have in common is they have a lot of raw speed. Um, and you'll see Todd Reddick, right? He hasn't closed and and necessarily in one, one yet, but he's been close and he is fast. Ross, no matter it's a truck Xfinity car, we saw when he was over there at Chip Ganassi in that car, like he can get the job done in the right situation. So I think that is a little bit to Chuck's point. Like he could eye the raw speed and talent and a lot of the other areas of cleaning a driver up, essentially, you know, quote unquote, and, or making them more professional or marketable, those are the easy things to do. You can't whip a you can't whip a horse faster than it wants to go. And all four of those guys that went through BK are 
they didn't have to whip them guys. They were pulling the reins back on all four of those guys, and now they've gotten a little bit older, a little bit more mature, and that's why we're seeing the, yeah. the results. Correct. So I'll ask this, and this is, you know, you hear people talking about it. We talked about it before. You've got the changing of the guard in the sport, right? I disagree. But you also have the new car, right? So which, which is it What do you consider changing the guard, Chuck? What do I consider? The fact that, all right, Kevin Harvick. Now, yeah, he's been in the series how long now? A hundred years. hundred years. 20, 20, 22 years? 21 years. 21 years? It was 2001? Yes. Yeah. Used to be Kevin Harvick was your guy at Phoenix. Was? The son of a bitch is finishing the top 10 nine years in a row. 18 straight. But when was the last time that he won? I don't know. Four or five years ago? 2017? 18? Not that long ago. And the la- when was the last time that he won a race? He took a year off. Right. So, yes, he's starting to knock back at the door. And, and obviously, Stuart Haas is finding something because Chase got into victory lane. But that's the thing. Chase was the guy that got there. It wasn't Kevin. The guy that you would expect at Phoenix to get the win. Who was in the mix? Who was in the mix? Like, I'm not knocking Harvick, but I'm saying that you've got these younger guys that finish one, two, three, four, five. I mean, we haven't had a winner this year over 30, have we? And yeah. is that my, and my question is not is since, that a product not since like like in the middle of the playoffs last year? Well, Logano won the clash, but I'm talking points. He's what? That's what I'm talking about too. It's, like, it's thirty. We're, we're, is he thirty? Rule, no, he's like thirty-one. Okay, turn to thirty-two in May, yeah. I believe. But um, I think it goes back to the middle of playoffs. Fact check me, but yeah, like there with Bowman, Larson. I think Larson won three out of the last four or something last year, right? But I get the point you're trying to. Yeah, make. I don't agree with it. Okay. I think it's more so the guys you saw really adapted to the high downforce packages, the guys that won often, Denny. Uh, you know, even Larson in some ways. Granted, he won at uh, where were he, uh, Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Vegas. I think and Harvick. You know, it it there is science to back. You know, it takes an older guy longer to adapt to change than a younger guy. Whether then you factor in, you know like uh, all the other factors that come along with like getting acclimated to a new car. Kevin Harvick will figure the new car out. Now, whether that's, you know, he finished what? Seventh or eighth? Where'd he finish Phoenix? Uh, top 10 for sure. Yeah. Top 10. I mean, obviously, but kept yeah. it going. Yeah. I think he was on the t- the front end of the top 10, maybe seventh or. I don't put a lot of like weight into. Now, do you call Joey Logano? <laughs> The new guard or the old guard? He's 31, right? The dude's been – yeah, he's well, been racing the series for 15 years. But he's younger. It, to, so, to your point, though, younger guys can figure it out quicker. He's still young. I wouldn't say figure it out quicker either. No? Because let's just look at Phoenix. What's the old guard? Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure that out. I, well, th- there's, the, I, I mean, think the old guard – that's why I disagree with Chuck's point. The old guard, if you just wanted to lump Kurt Busch and and Denny. Kevin Harvick and Denny, Denny into that. Cot, the, no, all of all – of, Gibbs, Gibbs Barn Truex minus the twenty, right? Right. Like, like Eric Almirola would be old guard. Yeah, and those guys are having success. Kurt Busch finished top five, so like I mean, Kurt will get a win this year. Definitely, your your older cousin <laughs> Kurt Busch um, will will certainly find, I believe, his way in victory lane. I don't think that there is a changing of the guard. I think what we're seeing now is obviously we we see teams like Trackhouse have some speed. We see RCR have some speed. It doesn't it doesn't surprise me that the team that developed the next-gen car in RCR and the teams that are affiliated with them, getting motors from them, are fast. Like, it's not coincidence. Chevrolet's. 
Chevrolets, right? And and Ross has been driving the wheel force car, so he's probably got more laps in a next gen car than anybody does. So it's not coincidence that these guys are finding their way to the front. It's the teams that know have a better grasp of setting these cars up because perfect example. We run 15th at Vegas. I thought our stuff drove pretty good. We were a 16th to 18th place car in speed. We didn't go to the Phoenix test in the off season when every other team did. We were three and a half tenths off the pace all weekend long, right into the point of impact. That You just can't overcome a team that has a better understanding, especially in the Cup Series when everybody knows what they're doing. You can't give, you can't spot them guys anything, let alone two days of on track in terms of, you know, on track speed. And Ross has been fast. Suarez has been fast. Tyler Reddick and even Austin Dillon's been fast. So, yes, like the people that are understanding this next gen car are a half a step ahead. Would you say, so changing of the guard, if you don't like put it that way, would you say this is the most competitive year that there's ever been? I agree with that. I, I would say so. If you, if you wrote down the four, uh, four winners that we have this year, you know, if you, if you thought about that at the end of last year, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pick those guys. You know, I think Larson, you obviously would have, uh, and Bowman, Bowman is like, you know, but we went to the West coast swing and Bowman was pretty strong there last year too. Like I don't sleep on Bowman. People do because he's kind of an unassuming guy. But he's, he's driving Rick Hendricks race cars for Sec, second most wins behind Kyle Larson yeah. over the last two years. But they you look at Chase like Briscoe, twenty-two out of forty-four Hendrick has. Okay, so take the winners years. out of it, right? Crazy. Look at the people that have been running up front. You wouldn't pick the guys that are consistently. You wouldn't pick Ross Chastain consistently running up front. But then you look at the fourteen last week. He spun out, and then they turn it around and come this week, and they're in contention for a win. And they have been up front. Yeah. So it's it's so competitive right now, and it's even harder than it's ever been. And if you look at the top twenty. To, to sort of bolster my point, if you will. Five-ish of those cars are newer teams. If you factor in Petty GMS with the GMS backing in there, because Ty Dillon in the 42, that's a newer team, mm. right? Um, still got a pop-pop engine deal. That right, helps. fair, fair. But you're still looking at like 23XI is up in there, Trackhouse is up in there, like... There are different names and different yeah. team names that are up there. Yeah. And that's when I'm saying changing in the guard. I'm not saying like it's this big shift in one year. It's a gradual shift that we're seeing new life. Breath? I, I think Breath? the guard had, the guard changed when Dale, Jimmy, and Jeff retired. Carl Edwards in that group as Carl well. Carl Edwards is in that group as well. So I think now You're seeing the maturity of those. I think you have yeah. some some guys hanging on who race with them. Then you have this weird group of Kyle Busch and Logano who have been around for forever, but are in their early to mid thirties. And then yes, you do have this huge youth movement that's coming up, which I would argue you'd be a part of that, even though you're the same age as Logano. I'm younger. Yeah. But Hook, not by much, you know, but no, by a lot. Give my man Six, a break, man. 16 months, man. It's a long time. Okay. Uh, but, but you know what I mean? Like, so I think, I think the guard has been changed. Yeah. The guard changed five years ago. Yeah, for sure. Now, I think maybe what Chuck's trying to say is it might have ended the era of mega team dominance. You know, you, the big teams, the cream will always rise to the top more consistent than the smaller teams. Just that's just the way it always works with better pit crews, better engineers, more OEM support. But you won't see, I don't believe, Hendrick Motorsports winning almost half the, half the races in a season anymore. They might eventually, but they might this year. But I, it doesn't look like that the way it is shaped up this early. Now, if you take 
the track house cars, right? It's impressive what they're doing, correct? Now, yeah. if you put a 42 and a one on them and paint with target colors and it's Ganassi, do you still, are you still as impressed or is it impressive because uh, of the undertaking Justin Marks taking on? Cause if you really think about it, they just took Ganassi over. I don't think and put the, new paint on it, but I don't think the surprise is necessarily with the organization. It's with the two guys that they're doing it with. Let's be honest. Daniel Suarez was written off. I think in the fans viewpoint for a long time. And then he goes out to auto club and the dude's leading laps and driving a race car out front and had a good chance of winning that race until, you know, he, he went low and Kyle Larson passed him. So I think that's, it's a combination of both things. Yes, it's a new team, but it's basically, you know, a rebranded CGR with some more parts and pieces. But like, you look at a guy like Daniel Suarez, who is racing for Joe Gibbs, who spent a year with Stuart Haas racing. And then, I mean, that dude raced for the Gaunt brothers for a year. And we're like, yeah. Well, is is this it? Like, is he right. done? And now he's back leading races and Driver Pitbull. probably going to win. But it goes back to your point about Brad Keselowski, Brad Keselowski and his truck team. When you get, like, you can see the talent and not have the sustainability with the polishing and all that to have that last and sustain. When you can see the talent and then with a Ganassi, like, was Chip Ganassi and that team, was were they at the point where they were contending for championships? Were they hungry? Were they hungry? Did the, were, Was the talent there? Did you just need to put the right piece in place? And is that piece Justin Marks and Pitbull? And then whoever they're bringing in for Trackhouse. Like, you look at a colleague and, like, Matt Colligan, and Chris Rice. Like, they're, they're people that are... <sighs> It's they see the talent and then they're working with the people to get them in the right place. Hendrick, they've done that for years. They know how to do it, and they're showing that they're doing it again. They're you know time tested. But these newer teams, it's almost like they're starting to get the pieces in place, and you're starting to see it pay off. There's so much behind just yeah, even that comment that Ryan just said about are they hungry, right? Like there's so much to the culture of a team that is is hard to explain unless you're in it, feeling it for yourself, right? Because you can look at – there's been time – you know, Ross Chastain driving for Jay Robinson at Premium Racing. Him and I were joking a couple weeks ago that I was watching a Dover race back, and he was 10 laps down on speed, and I was like eight laps. Literally racing our balls off all day long, and he went 11 laps down. I went 10 laps down. Look Not at, hitting anything. That's just the, racing. That's just the best day that that car had in it, right? So, like – did Ross Chastain get that much better of a driver to make up 11 laps of time relative to the speed? No. They put him in a position to thrive, give him confidence, and he goes out there and gets on the wheel, right? Because they're not pulling the reins back. They're letting Ross do what he wants to do, giving him fast race cars to drive. And that's a perfect example of being with an organization that collectively is pushing and pulling the rope the same direction. Yeah, that's I, the outcome. You, you know, it's something that brings me back to like, to what you talked about, like when Matt Kenseth went back in the Roush car, right? And at the test, he or at practice, he got out and looked at the sheet after he was used to being in a, in a Gibbs car. Mm. And he looked at the sheet and he like ran his finger all the way down and was like, I didn't feel like that. Yeah. Your car just, you're not doing much different behind the wheel. Your car's just that much faster. So it, I think it, it ups your stock, but also, you know, it's short track 101. Like the guys that grew up racing short track stuff that drove junk can do a lot more with good equipment than guys that have always had good equipment yeah. because you figure out, you know, little things to, to, to make it better and to make your team better. And I, I think there's never been a year. It goes to the mechanics, the pit crew guys, 
crew chiefs, engineers, and the drivers, you have one guy can make a big difference right now, especially where we're at. Like mechanic wise, pit crew wise, I think that there's so there's there's just it's such a hard way to separate yourself to be to be faster than somebody else that you have to have buy-in from everybody pulling the rope in the same direction in order to be fast. Because if you're fighting each other, you, you can't just rely on your car's speed anymore um, because, you know, you had better body builds or better chassis or something before. Everybody's right. got the same stuff. Right. And you got to figure out how to collectively find a balance in your car because everybody has the same puzzle pieces. There, But there are there there is a wider box in which to arrange your puzzle pieces with this car than there was with the previous car cuz at the end of the day it was a little bit mechanical grip but it was downforce and horsepower was your race for the last 10 years now that's that got thrown out essentially and you're still racing horsepower and downforce within reason but the box you're doing it in is way smaller in terms of that and now the mechanical grip is way harder to find and when you hit on it like a track house has then you'll see the speed instantaneously and you'll get into it a little bit later when you interview Chase Briscoe. Um, but I have two questions. One was how important for a driver is that confidence level? Like how important? Well, look at look at his career. He drove back to back. Drove the sixty Roush Xfinity car. Ooh. That it didn't matter if Jesus Christ was driving that car. It wasn't finishing the race. It was finding the wall. It was sure. stuffing it in the fence. Now Jesus could have snapped his fingers and put a right front fender on it and kept digging, but. Didn't matter if it was Ty Majeski, who wins about every super late mile racer as the one in the country. Uh, there was one other one, Austin Sendrick, Daytona 500 champion, couldn't get out of their own way in that car. And then you put Chase in the mix, runs just as bad. Literally the same season goes and drives a Stuart Haas car, wins a race, runs top five, and he tells a good story of he goes to Bristol for the first time in the Stuart Haas car, and he's like, "This is what I've been racing against. Like, are you kidding me?" The cars look the same from the grandstands 10 rows back. You can't tell a difference. And that 60, let's not forget, you know, five, six years before those boys got in that car. Not even, two years. Stenhouse won two champions. Yeah. Busher was a champion in that car. So Bubba, the year before that, finished in the top four or five. It was like a, a record, like however many times in a row. He was yep. like, he finished six or something, like eight times literally in a row. But sure. um, so to that point, Chuck, that is, that's, obviously where stacking pennies comes from, but at the end of the day, man, you're only as good as the thing you're sitting in. Now you'll see guys like you're only as good also as the team you're driving for, but that's also how you measure yourself because Chase Briscoe has been measuring himself up against Kevin Harvick, Eric Amarola and Cole Custer. You can't really compare to Hendrick cars. You can't really compare to team Penske cars. You can only compare yourself to your teammates. And that's why I'm sure it means a whole lot more and it's a lot more weight off his, off his chest to get that win. But you start adding in the element of confidence and things like that. You know, there, there's been times where his confidence has been, been super, super low. But when you, when you're riding a fast horse, that's a good way to get your confidence built back up pretty quick. I agree. You know, it, it, Dale Jr. talks about it when he went from DEI to Hendrick. Right. And, and the people like, like you and I talked about it, right. A lot about the, the opportunity that Spire would have, but at the end of the day, when there's 400 people at Hendrick and 300 people at Penske that are able to fine-tune the details, it makes it hard for Aspire to keep up. And you, you see new issues that pop up like, okay, maybe it wasn't just the car. You know, our, our team could be stronger if we do this. And, and when you have people, when you have more people pulling the rope, it's just you're never going to win that tug of war. But you, you still have to keep trying and keep fighting. Keep fighting, Chuck.
Speaking of keeping fighting in, in Phoenix, I uh, know your day ended early. I apologize again. Um, we, you were able to watch the race, though. And that track, to me, always puts on exciting racing, right? What is it about that track? And I, we're sitting in turn three, looking back towards the dogleg, because you get this really cool shot of them kind of, there's that little hump, and everybody comes out. And just that grip there in that turn, it... I couldn't quite, I can't, I don't have the words to describe it because I've never done it, but you see them sticking in that turn almost. I, I believe stickage is the stickage. Correct. Yeah, stickage. Like the faster guy, like the top cars just felt faster there. They, because they are. When they were going by, <laughs> you could feel it. it. There was just a different sense, like, it's hard to describe. It's like, I'm, I'm not finding the right words for it. But. I, so, a couple things in reference to the resin now because it's not pj one's call what it is it's a resin i think that we can rely less on resin at some of these tracks especially phoenix i, I doubt that they're going to spray for the championship race um and the drivers are all politicking to get it sprayed less because this next gen car races side by side better uh, i think we would have seen a little bit better race product had it not been a one groove racetrack on the top uh so preferred i believe uh, towards the end of the race, when you have the bottom lane working and you had to go all the way to the top in one and two to get that resin to activate, uh, it, it would have made it for some more options. And I think we're going to see that the second time we go. Um, and uh, that was also the reason, you know, NASCAR built this car is to make it race better side by side. And, and it, uh, for, in my opinion, has, has displayed that you can rise race side by side better. And also it reacts better in dirty air slightly. Um, so, so what's, well, I think it gets confusing, but from what I understand from racing indoor stuff, the resin, what resin does when you put it down is rubber builds on it fast. Yeah. Right. What, what is PJ one is like, it's almost like glue, like instant grip, but it's heat activated. So resin will, resin will take rubber faster. Correct. Yeah. So PJ one is a traction adhesive. It's literally the same stuff they put on a drag strip. So you get traction and you can launch. Yes. Where resin. Almost like a glue. Yep. Pretty much. It's Coke syrup essentially. Yep. Uh, diluted and it's two parts alcohol or whatever, right? I think resin, you know, it is a little bit better for the environment. So they probably do like spraying that better, but the resin takes away some of the pores and makes it just makes the rubber adhere to the asphalt as opposed to the rubber hitting the, um, it, uh, abrasion of the, of the actual asphalt and powdering up and not sticking the resin actually makes that the sheared rubber stick to the asphalt. So that's why I think NASCAR. And when you run in the rubber, it's instant grip, instant grip, depending on track temperature. Correct. If it gets hotter to a certain extent, the temperature will actually make the oils of the rubber just laid out on the ground come out and it makes rubber actually slicker. So what's uh, the optimal temperature? I don't know. I believe it's 71.8. Not, not too, not too hot, <laughs> not too cold. But right in the middle. Yeah, yes. and then also there's also a fine line on how much buildup is is better, right? A little bit of buildup when the track is somewhat cool and the rubber sticky is good. You go to a place like Martinsville here in a couple of weeks and you'll see the right side tires start laying a heavy lane down. You'll actually want to split that because it starts peeling off as your tires go over it. And if somebody's really paying attention, you've only had a couple, one or two ice cold Blue Mountain cans up in the grandstands, caution will come out and the track will be back clean 
that's concrete. That's no, even asphalt does you, that. Really, too. even you guys, because because we see it at Dover and Nashville, places like it's, that. Well, it's even, more evident at those places because the track goes from really dark gray to white. Yeah, that's literally the the hot tires picking up the rubber that's on the on the racetrack. It does that on asphalt, but it's not as evident. You can see it when you're sitting in the car driving around, and that's why Chuck made the hand motion. You weave the tires when you're not putting stickers on, right? So you'll even see guys before they come down pit road, warm their tires up, quote unquote, but they're actually getting the rubber you picked up off the tire so you can stop in the box. Um, so that's way into the weeds with what we're trying to do. But <laughs> Can we talk about Gibbs? No. Yeah, Mary, I don't mind shutting you down, but I do not want to shut down our guest because he is here waiting anxiously to join us. Big winner this week, Chase Briscoe, joining us right after the break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, guys, without further ado, you are talking to the guy who finished dead last and the guy who finished dead first, <laughs> the 200th NASCAR Cup Series winner, Mr. Chase Briscoe. Round of applause. I appreciate it. Man, you're wearing the same clothes you were wearing on Sunday. Have you changed? No, I had, different, I had different pants. Oh, are those your lucky shoes now? Uh, this is just the only pair of shoes I have. Man, has I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody's asking how has it feel, but you want – has it sunk in yet? You won a NASCAR Cup? No, not really. I've just been doing my normal deal. I went to Stuart Haas and debriefed. Guess where I went after that? Where'd you go? The joyous seating. Did you? Yeah, I saw Big Rand. What was he talking about? I went and uh, got fitted for a sprint car seat. About time you got a good seat in that thing. I've had it since I was, I've been a LaJoy guy since I was 11. You have been an OG for a while. And I appreciate that because a lot of guys get big time and then they jump ship, but no, sir. I haven't tried running them in Xfinity and they told me I couldn't. That's a shame. It didn't yeah, make a I, difference this weekend, did it? I saw your little man. He was riding the bike. Oh, yeah. He was Randy out. showed me his garage where he like took a big air compressor box and cut windows in it, and he yeah. parks all of his bikes in there. Yeah, it's his garage. Le- Levi's got a little yeah. cardboard house. Randy is definitely pumped to be a grandpa, you can tell. He's way softer now, too. He was like all about it. He's like, yeah, we get on the golf cart every day, and we go and feed the horses, and I show him around, and he was all about it. For sure. I mean, Randy was a good dad. He's a great grandpa. Speaking of, I mean, hey. Brooks is what now? Five and a half months. Five Coming on six months. months, yeah. It stinks that he obviously doesn't really know what's going on when dad yeah. wins. Like, I think Levi would know if something happened and I got lucky enough to win a cup race, he would kind of know what was going on but still wouldn't gravitate it. But, like, you know, rewind six months. How is Chase Briscoe different than before kids? Well, I feel like before I would have been like, you know, when I won Sunday, I would have been like, this is the best joy I've ever experienced, right? And then I was just telling them in there, 
I was way more excited to wake up Monday and see him than I was to win the race. And like, I just feel like my priorities have changed a lot. And I mean, I've always, I felt like been pretty good about it. as soon as the race is over. I mean, I could win or run dead last. I'm like, well, I can't do anything different now. Like whatever it was, it was, but now I definitely like look forward to just seeing him. Like that is like my, like, I can't wait to go home today and just see him. Cause it's, he's at the age now where when he sees me, he starts smiling, like giggling. So it's super cool for me. And I just feel like ever since we've had him, my priorities have changed where before, like I just, whatever we had to do racing wise, like, let's do it. Let's go. Like if I'm not home, I'm not home or now I want to be home and I just want to hang out with him. Every race car driver that's ever driven a, a race car, whether it's a street stock, go-kart, a cup winner, Sunday morning at one o'clock before we got yeah. in the car. Is it better? Is it different than what you thought it would be? Um, it, I don't know. That's a great question. I, I've never felt such a sense of like pride in myself, I guess. Like, that's great. Like I've never, I've never left the racetrack, honestly, in my entire career and said like, you did a good job today. Yeah. And that was the first time in my career. I was like, I, that is the best race I've ever ran from start to finish. Like I, I felt like I did a good job for once. Did you cry? Oh, I was, I was crying, tearing up with 80 to go when I was in the lead because I knew if it goes green to the end, I was going to have an opportunity to win the race. And then the cautions kept coming out. And then I took the white flag and I was, I mean, bawling the whole last lap. And then I took the checkered and I was still crying. And I was like, you got to get out of the car. You got to get together. Like you can't, you can't be balling this bad when you get out. So I kind of got together and I did my celebration and then in victory lane or in the interview, I was holding back tears and then I kind of got back. Like, I was like, okay, you're good. And then I was like, man, I wish my wife and baby were here. And I kind of started losing it again. Then the interview ended and it saved me. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I was bawling the whole life. What's flag. it mean? And I, I'm curious because I, I probably feel the same way. Like your dad racing was the, probably your biggest influence getting you started. How was it calling him and talking to him? He was there. He was there. Yes. Yeah. yeah he was there. How so, was that moment? It was cool. Like I was holding back tears when I saw him and then my mom FaceTiming and she was crying and I started crying again in victory lane. But my dad, he's always like, you know, my dad, like he's always been hard on me. Like in victory lane, he's chewed me out before. Like he does not hold back. So he came up to me in victory lane and he gave me a hug and he said, I'm so proud of you, son. He said, were all those ass chewings worth it? And I was like, that's pretty cool. About to make me cry. Yeah. God, it was pretty be- cool. Because be- they were. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? What's the biggest ass chewing your old man ever gave you? It was in a sprint car. Well, there's been a couple, but the one that I always joke about is I won this sprint car race at Brownstown and it was a day race. So, you know, dirt racing and day don't normally go together. It was dusty and the water truck goes out right before the race. Water's the entire top of the racetrack or no, water's bottom. That's what it was. And he said, Hey, or no, sorry. Okay. The water top. He comes up to me in the lineup shoot. He said, Hey, they just water the top. He said, the top's going to be really good for five laps. He said, run the top. Then you're going to need to get to the bottom. So I go out there, I'm probably 14 or 15 at the time, and uh, I run the bottom the first five laps and then go to the top. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the leader passes me, like shows me a nose, and I'm like, oh, I better get back down. Or yeah, the leader slides me, and I'm like, all right, I got to get back to the bottom. The bottom lays rubber. I drive all the way back around and win the race because I was the first guy to find the rubber on the bottom. And I get out in victory lane. I'm like, how you like that? He said, you should be embarrassed today to win that race. I said, What? <laughs> He said, you should be embarrassed. He said a real race car driver would have known what to do on the racetrack and been on the right right place on the racetrack and read the racetrack. I was like, okay. I mean, any other 14-year-old would have been able to figure that out. I don't yeah. know why you couldn't. I was like, okay, okay. 
man, before the race, we did a little sunrise service out there with, with yourself, Eric Amarola, McDowell, Ty Dillon, and Luke Weaver, who's a pitcher for the Diamondbacks. A um, couple of us were up there talking about our faith, inter- interacting with the fans. But you told me on the comp- competition side, you said, man, I've just been driving this thing like a dirt car all weekend. Now, yeah. explain to the listeners what you meant by just driving like a dirt car. Well, it was more the racetrack. The racetrack with how they sprayed the resin, it had so much grip. And especially in practice, like I'm sure you felt like you got up there, it was so stuck. You couldn't have spun out or anything. And I would just go in there and, and kind of run it like a dirt track if I was throwing a slide job. I would just carry as much speed as I could, middle to bottom, and just slide up and catch it and go. And then the race, that kind of wore out, so I wasn't able to do that as much. But I, at the end, those restarts, I just ran like a sprint car, you know, everybody talks about slider die and throwing sliders. Well, when you're trying to defend a slider, you just drive it in as hard as you can on the guy's right front. He can't slide you. And that second to last restart, Ross got to my inside and that's what I did. I just drove it in as deep as I could on his right front. So I was watching the entire race, the hauler in my truck, but the last restart in particular, I'm like, he's definitely going to choose the top because you've been making speed at the top all day. You chose the bottom. I'm like, (laughs) Oh boy. Now you obviously chose that knowing eight tires are better than four. But also knowing you're gonna have to bury that thing in there and clear the guy into one. So yep. what? Like explain, because I don't think the people watching or even the broadcast at times explains the level of commitment it takes for you to dri- drive it three <laughs> yep. car lengths deeper, maybe four car lengths deeper. Than I was you had all day. I was all the way in the corner before I lifted, and that at the end I knew as long as I didn't get, if I had to lead out of two, they weren't gonna beat me, right? And early in the race, uh, into stage one, I took the outside, thinking the same thing. And Byron beat me and I felt like, okay, I felt like I kind of learned something there. But at the end, I knew if I took the outside, same thing, I could have drove it in as deep as I wanted. But if the guy on the inside comes up, like all he's got to do is run his right rear up to my left front. I'm done. Right. Yeah. So I knew as long as I took the inside and if I drove it in as far as I could, if they were out there, like in all my right rear, I was going to turn off and diamond off anyways. I felt like I was going to be okay. So that was kind of the mindset I went with. And I just felt like I could defend better. Uh, if I took the bottom or on the top, I felt like I was vulnerable. You know, I've, I've had it happen in, in dirt race before. You, you take off and you go to the top in one and two and the guy slides you and you're done. So I just kind of went with that mentality. So much about this whole deal is confidence. Chase Briscoe, four races into the year last year versus right now. Where <laughs> yeah. are you at? Uh, it's not even the same guy. I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure you've seen it talking to me. Like I just, last year, I felt like when you come in this Cup Series, you feel first, like you're right. You were the first guest on Stack and Pennies, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. I'm glad to have you back. Yeah. I. Uh, but, yeah, like I feel like when you come into the Cup Series, you think you're ready, but you're never ready, right? Like you learn really quickly. Everybody is extremely good. Even the guys running, you know, 30. Dead last, like me. Like, like Yeah, myself. like they're hauling the mail. Like they are good. Like they're getting after it. So – you never feel like you're you're really capable, I don't think. And last year, you, you go in with all these expectations of, oh, I can win races. And you learn really quickly, you're going to run 20th for a lot of races in a row. And I think for me, this year, I just said in my post-race deal the other day, like, last year, if I saw the 18 car, I was like, that's Kyle Busch. You know, like, I've watched these guys on TV my entire life, you know, looked up to them. And now I'm like, that's the 18. Like, I don't even think of it as Kyle. I just think of it as another guy that's out there. And When did that shift? I would say, honestly, after Indy last year. I yeah. was like, like you can you can do this. Like, you can run up front if you put everything together. Like, it's going to be hard, but you can do it. And then this year, just from the beginning, even at the Clash, like, we've just been really, really fast. And I feel like it's just been easier. Like, obviously, if your car's fast, it feels easier. But 
I just feel like we've had a lot of really good speed. And I felt like, you know, if I could go do my job, then we're going to be in contention at least. And that's what we were able to do Sunday. Love, love to see it. Indiana guy at heart. So my, one of my favorite pictures of you is you dressed up as Tony Stewart for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Like with those things that you get at like party city, right? Yeah. yeah it what it mean, costume. what it mean for you to get that 14 for Tony in victory lane? It was special, right? Like, I would, when I say like Tony was my hero, like I had so much Tony Stewart stuff growing up. Do you uh, eat Oreo and Cokes? I mean, it looks like it, right? <laughs> so I feel like I fit the part of the 14 pretty well. Um, but yeah, I mean, like for me, I was a, a Tony fan. Like I, I was a fan of the 14 car and, and I was saying in there and some of our media stuff, I mean, how many people can say they run in the cup series, right? There's 40 people every year, but how many of those 40 can say, if I could pick any car in this, in the series, I would drive that car in that number because that's what it means to me. And that's how I am. If, if you said, Hey, you're going to get around the cup series. What car do you want to drive? I'd say the 14, like that's the one I want to drive and to get that car back in victory lane, knowing as a fan, the history of it and just knowing how much it means to Tony and, and being, you know, having him as my hero, it was uh, super special and what hearing he, how pumped he was. What cool. did he say to you? He just, he called me in victory lane. He had just won the drag race that day. So I could honestly hear dragsters going off in the background. He's just like, Hey man, I'm so proud of you, kid. You know, you came a long way. And I just told him, I said, Hey, first off, thank you. Like you didn't have to take a chance on me. And he said, yeah, I told you when I called you the very first night, it was just a matter of time. He said, I didn't know if we were going to do it last year, if we were going to do it this year. And I just said, well, thank you again for, for everything you've done for me and believing in me. He said, you made it easy for me to believe in you. And as a, as a guy that looks up to that guy, it was pretty dang cool to hear. That is pretty dang cool to hear. And as always, no matter what guest it is, got to ask a couple questions. I've changed because you've already asked. Yeah, I I've done the other ones. If you had to pick one car and one track. Yeah, and I've it done was, that. It was a sprint car somewhere. Sprint car at Hobstock. Okay, I don't know where in God's name that is. But <clears throat> this year's question is what – is or what was your like nascar dream of like if you like for example i have a dream like i i'm late and like the all the field yeah i had that like, like a week and a half ago it's the worst thing it is the word but like don't you don't you can't steal mine what's yours like when you wake up and you're like oh man that was a good dream or bad dream a good dream i don't think i've ever had one where I, it's been good but what's a bad one well, what you said, like I've had that, you get them at least once a year, right? Yeah, for sure. I've had one in NASCAR. I've had one at the Chili Bowl. I had one where I was playing, this is when I was younger. I, I don't know why I remember this, but the World of Outlaw 2002 Sprint Car Video Game. Great game. Rat yeah, Bag Entertainment. The, yeah, like the best game ever. Yeah. And I remember I was in the game. Like I was driving the game and I flipped all the way down the back straightaway at Silver Dollar. And that used to be my favorite track on there. And I, I remember waking up and I was like. I was just in the video game. I was like nine years old. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Well, now you're in a real video game, and you're also the 200th NASCAR Cup Series winner. Chase Briscoe, everybody, thank you for joining Stack and Penny. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued, 
at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, guys, time for some pit road boats and woes. I had an obvious woe of myself. Let's just get into pit road stuff. Four weeks in, there are so many elements to Phoenix pit road with that big curve. So you have to factor in pit road rolling speed and pit road speeding penalties like we saw a couple of them. But who had the most raw speed this week? Yeah, so the the team that was fast this weekend is also the team for the year that's been the fastest and a little bit of surprise to all of us. They take the top ranked spot this weekend, but it's Ross Chastain and the one boys. Which isn't surprising to me though, because that one they've team been, last year was solid. They were and and they've been you know, they've been up front every week and you know, one thing you see the Gibbs cars are, are nowhere to be found in the top ten. There's there's one car in the top ten this week and they've been dominating Pit Road. Um the same the same reason why why we weren't as fast as we could have been. You're turning wrenches. And if you're turning wrenches in this pit stop, you're you're second you're losing a second or two. I was gonna ask you, what is just a routine right rear one round in adjustment worth in overall pit stop time. I'd say you're losing almost three quarters of a second to half second on the left front. Right. And, and when you're because talking, why? Cause it's so much faster from the amount of time from when the tire stuck to the lug nut is tight and the changers leaving that by the time you make the adjustment and get to the left front, you're Late. a second behind, you know, before we were doing it in 11 seconds. Now, if you're on time, you should be in the nine second range. So you're getting there, and by the time you get the tire on, if it's going to be a nine, it's going to be a 10.5 or a 10.7. So, and then if you, you do a left side adjustment, there's really no good way to do it. You see some guys carrying their own tire out. The jack man's fumbling with the, with the wrench on his helmet, trying to get it in the hole. So th- there's a lot, uh, there's a lot there. But that, you know, that's the reason why the Gibbs cars probably fell off this weekend a little bit was because they were adjusting on their stuff and they weren't very good. Also, at times we see guys playing to the level of their competition or as we say it playing to the level where your car's running right you, you a lot of times on this sheet you see the guys that are leading the race stay up there st- stay up there or be you know you're competing to stay in the race you're not like our our job this weekend we we ran 24th we weren't very good so our job when the car comes in the box is not necessarily to get it out of the pit box as fast as possible it's to make the right adjustments to make them better on the racetrack and don't lose too much time in the box. So your mindset's different. You're not going there to, you're not, you're not trying to be a killer, but I I don't know. We saw a lot of issues with the 12 car. I think that um, those guys kind of lost some confidence in the middle of the race and, and you saw it kind of snowball to where the whole rest of the race wasn't very good. And the nine car was great and they didn't end too, too well, but, but the two guys that are in the top five that have been consistently in the top five, no matter what are the four and the nine. So two good pit crews that have been good for a long time that are, uh, steadily staying there. So something that I don't, it is hard to explain. And even if you're watching it, it's hard to explain unless you're sitting there in it. And you and I have had this conversation multiple times, but I look back to, I didn't talk about this last week, but I look at, you know, somebody asked, I was on serious earlier of like, you know what? If a pit stop, if a pit crew just does their job and you gain one or two spots, like what's it worth, really? And I said, like, let me tell you what it's worth. Look at Eric Amarola and I last week at Vegas. We start right around each other. We both kind of pick our way through the field, get to like twentieth and twenty-first. I come down pit road. 
come out last car in the lead lap. He comes out where he was, 20th, right? I pass four or five cars, get back to his bumper. Couple pit stops. He keeps maintaining and or gaining spots on pit road. Now he's racing. He's 15th. I'm 23rd, right? So now I get to, now we're like three or four cars separated where now two, two of the cars that are running the exact same speed or have the potential to run the exact same speed are seven spots separated. Money stop comes. His guys get him to eighth. Top lane rolls in a restart. He runs sixth. I run 15th with the same speed in our race car just from having a solid and or positive day on pit road. Like those are the thing. It's not like Eric passed more cars. It's not like Eric passed 10 more cars than I did. I probably on paper probably passed more cars, but the track position. There's is, no better adjustment than track position. Track position is so, so hard to get and even more important to maintain. It seems like these cars, and I don't know what you've seen, but where we used to turn wedge wrenches and there's no track bar now. So you only have, you know, your rear wedge that you can really adjust during a pit stop or air pressure or air pressure. It seems like the wedge isn't doing much. No, I, I think that every time we've turned it or I've seen a lot of people, it's, almost backwards. It, it's not, it's not going real well for, for guys that are having to adjust on their car. And you're having to learn that on the fly. Cause we don't really know what that does. Obviously at a test, you're going to take a bigger swing than just putting around in the right rear. Um, so I feel like it's almost better to just have fast pit stops and try to gain a couple positions and cycle up a couple rows. And then you, all of a sudden you're, you're in the tail end of the top 10, then maybe you're the backside of the top five or, or seventh or eighth and, and you get a good restart. I don't think that there's any adjustment right now that's better than trying to gain spots on pit road. I'll tell you what the best adjustment is, clean air. Clean air. The cleaner the air, the, the more better. better it is. <laughs> the better. Let's talk about your issue. Chuck, Chuck shot you. Let's, he shot me with, and it looked like the wheel something. was tight with all. So my question to you is this it. So the only thing that we have to go off of is your helmet cam yes. or the, you know, the tire changers helmet cam, which the quality of those cameras, by the way, are unbelievable. Unbelievable. And you can watch yourself miss lug nuts in t 12 frames a second. It's crazy. I know. It's, cr it's legitimately crazy. Like we could slow it down and literally see every rotation of that socket and it to ugga dug it its way on there. My question to you is, my original thought, like, there's no way that you could hit the nut, pull it off, and get the tire off, and also get the new one on. But now I come to think of it, could he have tightened the nut with the tire on the ground if the right front drooped and it wasn't a long enough stroke of a jack? Yeah. I, I mean, that's something that, that we've definitely seen. And, and I think that there's been teams, you know, with, with different – with your right front being lower or there's, there's different um, like tethers that you can run on the right front. Like you used to run on the rear because you don't necessarily have to run a sway bar all the time, or you can run a slider on your sway bar. There's a lot of different options. Uh, but, but if you think about it, if the, if the right front wasn't high enough, it could have hit on the ground, but, and that, that might give you a false sense that it's up against the wheel and it's not rattling around. Cause what you can really watch from your helmet camera is, you, you can look through these wheels through the spokes and, and kind of see if the wheels flat against the plate yeah. and, and you just watch for wheel movement I, from what I understand, but it, we're all, we're all pretty much in the infant stages of this and trying to understand what's loose and what's not. And what used to be a loose wheel, like you'd go out on the track and be like, Hey, I got one shaking loose here. I got to right. come to you or I'm going to try to ride it out. You don't really know now. And the no. consequences for not knowing and staying out for too long is what happened to you. And, and, and yeah. I think we did see the first loose wheel that someone, like the first time that I've seen it this year was Bubba Wallace. He's like, Hey, I got a loose left rear. 
But if you're going to feel a wheel that's loose, it's going to be the one that's right under your ass. Mm -hmm. And that's the left where you're sitting on it. It's got drive load. It's got more stuff going on. But the front end, you almost don't know. Well, it, it was a it was a tough tell because we started the race with the right front chatter. Just when the car's not handling good and the right front's not working how it's supposed to, the tire will literally just and vibrate and chatter because it's not working properly. When your car's too tight, it'll feel like your feel like your right front's on a rumble strip. Almost. Yeah, it, that's literally how it felt. And we had that the whole first run. Didn't get any better. Didn't get any worse. Made some adjustments. Fire back off, and it had the same chatter, slightly worse. So had I not had a chatter the first run, I might have thought something was up the second run, but. I, you know, it just didn't feel loose or anything like, you know, a previous loose wheel would have. But you talk about the the consequences of a loose wheel, which now, in my opinion only, I don't think the penalty fits the crime as it used to be. Because the four-race suspension plus monetary fine was put in place to deter crew chiefs to not hit three lug nuts and ship it. Yeah, so that was the game that was played. Right. When we were hitting five nuts, there was teams in the middle of the race. The rule came to where you had to have five lug nuts at the end of the race. That was right. the that was the way it was written in the rule book. So there was teams that would hit three lug nuts on the left front. Right. right. There that that was a real thing. So to really penalize somebody that's playing that game and loses a wheel with five lug nuts on it, it's it's a four race suspension. Now obviously we don't want wheels flying off these race cars. Right. But with one lug nut a simple mistake should not, yeah. In in my opinion, as well, and and I'm all for you know highest level of the sport consequences. You got to do good. You got to do you know a good job. do a good job. You got to get your wheels on. But a simple mistake could cause a wheel to fall off, and maybe maybe a grace period. But but then again, I don't write the rule book, and I'm not going to ask myself or 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 by any means ask for a rule to be changed but i think that the uh i think that the punishment is is pretty severe so i think that's why you see some teams err on the side of caution so let me ask you this if you left knock on wood let's say let's hope it doesn't happen you leave a wheel loose and it falls off yeah should who's your crew chief jeremy bones jeremy bones like the and and austin stuffed stuffed his car in the fence days over finished dead last big points hit how much more of a penalty do they need for the crew chief to take a month off of work? Yeah, I I would hope that just like everything that that we've that we've done, we re, you know we we have to reconsider everything we're doing, um, and I, and I hope that that's a rule that in the future that we reconsider or at least look at. Maybe one week suspension. I don't know. But like I think a month a, off a of month suspension is a lot. Yeah, and and it's I think it might be a little bit antiquated because it it was something. It was a rule that came into place when people were intentionally che cheating yeah when people were cheating and not putting enough lug nuts on now it's a different car it's a different pit stop a different gun different wheel everything is different so it's more apt to have an issue like you had so maybe a on one week accident. maybe a one week suspension when there's not you know malicious intent behind it obviously maybe a one week suspension is what we need to go to but this is a this is a conversation that I probably need to be careful with because it's not one that I that I want to get wrapped up in, but um, but I think it's something that needs to be looked at. I agree with that. Shifting gears, we're going to Atlanta, which pretty substantial week because this is the first week NASCAR is allowing Gibbs and any other team that figured out or wants to experiment with this new choreography of all the 
both changers running in front of the car. Yep. What should we anticipate this weekend? So Gibbs has been working on this pit stop for about a year now. They, they started doing this all year last year. We've talked about it on this show before. And they have a very state-of-the-art pit department, a lot of engineers, very good coaching. So if they are going to switch to it, they obviously have some data backing that it's better. Now, is that data best possible scenario straight in the box? You know, car stops where it needs to stop. Everything goes great. Good stop, like perfect stop, perfect weather, perfect right. weather. That one's better than maybe. But if you get to a point where you're coming around, car stopping long, doing this, that, and this, that, and the third, is it, is it still, you know, does it correlate from the parking lot to the racetrack? Right. Obviously, they're confident in it. They have put the work in and they're confident in it enough to bring it to the racetrack this weekend. If they do, obviously, we think they're going to. Uh, but until the race starts, we don't know. Um, but I'm, I, I feel like a lot of teams are going to let them figure it out and watch it in live reps. And, and if it is better, then everybody in the sport will go to it eventually. No doubt. So what, how much speed do you think might be there on a perfect day? <sighs> if because it's, also, if it's three or four tenths, maybe. Right. But also, so the, the weirder thing on top of the choreography is the rear changer on the right side is changing the left front. The left front. So everybody's running around together. So essentially, if, if I know how those guys are thinking, they're just trying to take dead time out of the stop. So one of the guys that if you watch a pit stop, a really fast pit stop, no one ever stops moving. Everybody will just continuously move. And one thing you see now is you see the, the front changer run, stop, the jackman runs by him, then he dives in. So this will keep the constant flow of everybody moving. And if there's three tenths there, it's a lot. But three tenths is also, you know, we saw three tenths win Kyle, Kyle Larson a championship. So we, we are breaking this stuff down. You know, we talk about pit stops and we look at numbers and it's almost hard. You get so trapped in the numbers that you start, <laughs> you almost don't realize like we're talking hundredths of a second here, but that's how fine tuned we are right now. And, you know, one bad tire pull or we've seen right front tire pulls be really troublesome, especially for some of the Gibbs guys. If your guy struggles on the right front, it holds everybody up. So we'll see uh, how, how it, how it correlates. Another thing that's different now than what they've practiced all year is the tolerances on the wheels are tighter now than what they were practicing with. So it makes it harder to pull tires. So yeah, if you botch one right front tire pull, it hurts your whole stop way worse than it would just a normal stop. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what goes on this weekend. I'm excited. Hypothetically, let's just say all the Gibbs cars are sub ten averages. Yeah. And now everybody's like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. We've got to figure. We got to change our entire pit stop. Yeah. If you guys started practicing that choreography next week, how long does it take you guys to get that figured out? I think it's situational. Um, and, and I think it might be team dependent, right? If there's one team that gets it better and can do it consistently better, then maybe you send them to the track doing it and the other teams uh, that, that are maybe slower picking it up, not doing it. Um, but the biggest thing with with racing is you have to be able to win and win right now with the people you have, right? You're not going to do stuff for five weeks down the road. You need to, with, with the way the playoffs and everything are set up right now, you need to be able to win now, win often, you know, and, and what can you do right now with the people that you have? So if it's something that is a lot better, we'll, we'll be going to it for sure. Everybody will be, but you have to have the people that can also 
adapt to it. So if you don't have the people on your team that can do it and you're faster doing it the other way, then you're going to stick with that until you find the people that can do it. To minimize the woes. One thing that happened this weekend, though, pit stops were a lot slower in Phoenix. We saw a bunch Cambers. of nines, a bunch of nines in, in Vegas. And camber, brake dust, everything that goes along with Phoenix, only one nine-second stop, and it was a 9-9 nine nine of that from the 17 team. So we'll see uh, We'll see what Atlanta brings. I think Atlanta's going to be a little bit more like a speedway race, and then we go to a road course. So exciting what these next two weeks bring. Yes, it is. Pit Road Boats and Woes, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll get back to you all right after the break. Headed down to Hotlanta this week, Chuck. Nobody knows what to expect. It's going to be wild. And what I'm looking forward to is the unknowns of it. I also expect that um, the racing is going to be good because the track's going to be smooth. It's going to have a lot of grip. It's going to be fast with the intention of when SMI Reef configured it, put four more degrees of banking. FOMO. It's going to be, it's going to come back. And hopefully it's somewhat looks the part of speedway racing, which will be freaking crazy on a mile and a half race. I feel like that will be crazy. And just to specify, Atlanta was 24 degrees yep. and it is now 28 degrees of banking. And they've cut a little bit out of the it's racing. Narrower. Huh? Well, yeah. they didn't, they didn't do that. Like in just in the hopes of making the track narrower, they did that. Just that's what the four degrees yeah. of banking. Yeah. Cut you out. have to, yeah. you have to do that to get the, the banking. There. Right. If you can't build the wall up, you got to cut it in more. But I, I feel like there's a lot that there's a lot of unknown about this weekend. If you look at the betting odds in Vegas, nobody's what better than like a 10 to one to win. It's kind of, it's like a super speedway, but it's a mile and a half. How's this going to play out? What's it going to look like? Is it going to be that, or is it going to be Atlanta with a little bit more action? Is it going to be Texas, like uh, Texas um, All-Star race? race? Somebody said it to me earlier, and I'm like, no, because Texas sucks now. Uh, I mean, that's just my opinion. But it was the track temp down there for the All-Star race this past year was, A, the hottest I've ever been, and it was probably over 120 degrees. So it doesn't matter where we're at you're not going to get great side-by-side racing when the track temp's that hot because that just builds so much separation between the cars because you're looking for as much clean air as possible. So it looks like it's going to be mid-60s down there for the weather, which will be perfect for side-by-side racing. I think you're going to see two, potentially three wide, not long after a restart, but you will see two wide a lot and probably 12 rows deep. Um, and you're going to see some slide jobs. You're going to see guys sucking each other back uh, by side drafts and things like that. Why well, you got to smile at that, Mary? He, he made <laughs> a face. Flores made a face, not You're like me. seven years old. No, that was not 12. Me. He's 12. Don't bring Give me a little bit game. of well, you, you literally made a face. I don't no, bring you me made the face game. first. <laughs> but you made a face before that, and I wanted to see what you had. You no, I just I – don't, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be – I think the bigger thing that's going to make this race good for the fans is the factor of unknown. Anytime, I thought when we went away from practice and qualifying, the initial first 10 races after that, when COVID happened, I thought the racing was really good because you couldn't tune on your stuff. What you unloaded was good. You had a lot of people who weren't good at the beginning of the day, better at the second part of the day. So I think, I think in my opinion, 
it's going to be more of that. I mean, do you think they're gonna, you're going to be sitting there running nose to tail like you do at Daytona the entire race? You think you're drafting here the entire race in a pack? Definitely down the straightaway. Um, I, I'm interested to find out if the mechanical grip versus the aero grip is a big offset, right? Because if you have enough grip over the course of the run to be tucked up to the car in front of you, you're going to be doing that. But a lot of times you're going to need to show a right front headlight, a left front headlight to get a little bit of air on your nose and also now underneath the car uh, because you're going to want to keep some air on that diffuser to, to keep you turning and handling them good. So um, I don't know if the 28 degrees of banking is quite enough to see like Talladega type drafting in the corners. What about loads? What kind of, I mean, obviously you got 28 degrees of banking, but they didn't radius the corner anymore like a Talladega or Daytona. So, I mean, what are you prepared for in terms so of the what load, your body So the loads feels? really come, this, oh, it's going to be Vegas right now. I personally feels like the most um, load on your body, low back, your neck gets sore there because it's got a lot of grip. But I think it, I think Atlanta's only like 19 or 20 degrees. So we're going to add eight degrees to that. I expect your neck's going to be super sore. Your shoulder's going to be sore. Your low back, it's going to have a lot more vertical load on you as well as in addition to lateral load. So you're going to make sure you have to make sure your seat and interior stuff is definitely dialed in. So weekend. three and four of Texas isn't as bad as Vegas. Uh, no, because it's actually more, ver- that's more vertical down into your butt than lateral. Like Vegas is more, okay. you're kind of lean over to the right, like push getting pushed to the right where Texas is, you're pushed down into the seat. How does that compare to Bristol and Dover? So I've had, I've cause you're going, the radius of Bristol corners are so tight. I've had it in a cup car when you're really getting after it, which doesn't happen very often to me. I've had tears run out of my left eye across the bridge of my nose into my right eye and out the right side. Like <laughs> that's how much vertical and lateral load there is on your body. Like tears literally run out of your eyes sideways. <laughs> well, I just know like doing the ride alongs, even at Charlotte, I've done one. I did one with Kyle Bush and a two seater at Martinsville, which was one of the most insane things. But like even doing it up here at Charlotte Motor Speedway, I mean, it feels like it's very disorienting in the corners. I mean, is it different when you're holding the steering wheel? I think it's different when you're fat. That's, uh, that's a lot of right side weight. That's, a lot, that's what I was thinking. Poor Kyle had to hold on. To I that. know. Oh, Damn jackpot. I wasn't no this, wonder he's pissed off all the time. I wasn't this big back in the day. Jeez. Oh, that's not nice. I'm I, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a question about this weekend, and you can be a quick answer because Corey is now part of the driver council, so you'll know this. I've, I've seen Denny talking about it quite a bit there's some fuss about wall angle so they changed it what what was the what were the concerns there is it the the way it's angled towards the banking or was it where a flat part is where you can hit off the corner no because now so atlanta's front stretch wall had a really distinct dog leg shape that obviously we never used because you're trying to make the straightaway almost like where brad keselowski flipped Flipped and augered it in yeah or, or vice versa right so now that they added another 15 or 20 feet of front straightaway asphalt to the inside to make it even more straight because Atlanta's front straightaway prior even to the reconfiguration was notorious of when you got behind a car and you were trying to make the corner, uh, the slight corner of the, of the straightaway, you would literally have, you could put all the wheel into it. And since your nose is off the ground, you would drive it straight in the fence. Because you had, if you were tucked up in Atlanta, because there's n- literally no banking, it's dead flat. Now is it still dead flat? It from what I, from what it looks like, it look it looks dead flat because they can't change 
the height of the infield. Yeah. Right. So it's, I'm guessing it's still dead flat. So you're going to have to have a straighter shot when you're drafting like they expect us to. So they brought just the corners of the dog leg shape in like 20 feet to make that angle less aggressive. I think a good way, I think a good thing to look at that if you're trying, if you're listening to this, trying to figure out what it is, is like when Kyle Petty wrecked at the all-star race. Yeah, and he hit left side at one hot night. Mm-hmm. That hit, is hit just when the wall kicked. Just back where it, th- it turns flat. So yeah, it makes the angles. It definitely makes flat angles in front of you. Yeah. So they're trying to because it looks like in the configuration they made it a little bit more like an oval by adding the asphalt towards like the quarter mile towards pit road. Yeah. Um, but they didn't bring the wall into match. So they uh, they did. Uh, I think the best they could to make the wall as rounded and a consistent radius of the track. Okay. So, yeah, kudos to SMI for that. Now, feel free to tell me that this is stupid and, like, it is a poor Merriman-level take. But when <laughs> I see the photos of What did the, that do to you this nothing. week? Nothing. <laughs> it's not oh, just this week. It's not just this week. <laughs> it's piled up. It's every week. Over time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's five, ten, seven years. How many years? I don't know. Um. When I look at the repave at Atlanta, my initial thought, just by looking at the photos, is Darlington. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about it when I see it with the repave. I just get this, like, mental image of Darlington. Is there anything to that, or is that just a completely, like, Chuck, you're a moron? No, I'll let you know next week. Um, I mean, I think that the track width itself is probably what gives you the Darlington 1 and 2 vibes, um, because visually it looks narrow, but... I'll be interested to, to see how it how it races. I'm sure it'll feel super narrow when you're two or three wide. Um, but Atlanta felt generally wide to begin with, so uh, I think that even shorten it up 14 feet or whatever they did won't be that big of an issue, but I guess I'll let you know on that next week. Janie, penny for your thoughts. All right, Janie, Penny, for your thoughts, Tom, what do we got this week? Our first question comes from space underscore ace three. And he says, with Atlanta up next, would you rather race a true oval or these cookie cutter quad oval tracks? Why did the quad oval take popularity over a true oval like Homestead? So my understanding of like the quad oval dogleg craze in the mid 90s was because it was like the perfect equation of getting the most amount of people in the racetrack, infield parking. uh, And also they dog legged it because that way, if you're a fan sitting towards turn one, you can see coming out of turn four and vice versa to where if it was an oval, like you go to your normal short track, if you're sitting down in turn one and the guy sitting next to you is eating a hot dog and standing up, you can't see what's coming out of turn four. So from what I understand is SMI's, you know, their thought process in the mid nineties, Humpy Wheeler even said, he's like, we thought we were going to put grandstands all the way around every single track. That's how much the popularity of the sport was growing in the early two thousands. And when that obviously, uh, that obviously kind of the growth stopped and technology started booming and people just were stopped coming out to the racetracks or any sporting event they had, they were kind of stuck with that equation of a racetrack. And then, before that point, we weren't even thinking about what dirty air affected the race. Yeah. Like that was 15 years later when the cars got close enough and uh, the team started understanding how to make cars going fast, how to utilize the air. Um, and then that brought up a whole nother 
you know, case of problems to have to deal with. So at the end of the day, the sport was grown on short tracks. Um, and now f- for additional reasons, as opposed to just having the cars close together, there are also aero advantages or lack of disadvantages, the smaller tracks we go race. So I prefer short tracks. Jessam Dan asks, NASCAR next-gen question, are fuel cell sizes the same everywhere again, or are they different at different tracks? Thinking about pit stop times with one lug. Yeah, I think they're all still 22 gallons. I think you'll still see, you'll see some games played at places where you won't need a fuel, full tank to get you to the to the stage break or towards the end of the race, things like that. People not putting a full tank of gas in. I think the only time you'll really see those types of games being played are at the speedways. Um, but yeah, same size fuel tank. Do you even call it's it the a, next gen car even more? It's a bigger, it's, just, it's this, it's the, the gen, it's the gen, it's the gen, but it's the, the NASCAR. The, the next gen fuel cells are two gallons bigger than last year. There, they there's, were 20? there's two, there's two more gallons in the car. The, the fuel cells bigger this year than it was last year, but they are the same every week. Yes, they don't change fuel cell size. There you go. Pit road boats and woes analysts. And I have another question this week because I just keep having questions every week when I watch. I love your questions. Atlanta's repave technology. It's got multiple layers of asphalt. The first one is supposed to absorb all of the water for it to go to the next one for it to dump down the banking. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to run on rain tires, but are they trying to get you guys to still be able to run in the rain or just faster drying time if it does rain? Maybe sprinkle tires. Maybe Ooh. we can bring some sprinkle tires back. I don't think you'll ever see us race in the rain on our oval um, just because I don't think that rain tires can take the vertical load that we would put into them uh, no matter what kind of tread they have. That would be really probably an impossible situation for Goodyear to develop a tire for that. Uh, but I do think if it reduces the track drying time in half, and I think that right now for as valuable as a TV window is, if they don't have to get another TV window or move a show to, you know, to try to kill time for the hour and a half it takes to dry Atlanta off. Now, if it only takes 35 minutes to get a track raceable, I think that was worth the investment. So I'm interested to see how it works. Hopefully we don't have any rain. Is it like next gen pavement? It's this gen pavement now. The pavement stuff, like there's a whole aspect to that that I want to learn more about. Like what goes into the aggregate that they're putting into these compounds. Like they're doing a lot of science research into that stuff. And that's that's fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. Big rock guy. Big now, rock guy. Now, you yeah. don't want to see rain tires at a mile and a half. But what about Martinsville, Richmond? That would be badass. Think So you think it could handle the vertical load at a short track, just not at a... Well, they tried it last year. Uh, they tested Kyle Larson two, said two years ago. Line them up, go tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, Kyle Larson said the full wet tires, um, you line them up and go tomorrow. They tried the intermediate hashtag sprinkle tires like we were uh, making fun of last year, but the full wets that evacuate the most amount of water from the tread seem to be the best. Um, here's a problem, right? Everybody talks about comparing the different tire durometers like F1 has, like with the super softs and the intermediates and the hards. People ask all the time I hear, why don't we just do different compounds for us? Well, here's how NASCAR drivers and crew chiefs and teams work. We would put the softest ones on every week and we'd run them as long as we possibly could. And then when one would blow, they would get out and start cussing Goodyear. When that was the whole intention to make tires degrade. Dumb question. How many F1 teams are there? 20? 10. 20 cars? Correct. T- 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 10 teams, 
two cars. Two piece. cars a piece. How many sets of tires do they use in a race? Two or three? Two sets, maybe three sets. Okay. So do that math, whatever that is. Uh, 40 sets. So we had 10 sets. Four teams go through that in a race. Yeah. In a cup race. So we have 40 teams at 10 sets a race. Right. Right? It's a lot of tires. 1,600 tires. Give Goodyear a break, guys. Goodyear's, Goodyear's doing just Goodyear's fine. Goodyear's doing fine, but we can... I think it's something we can go to. I, what I would like to see is being able at... Like, when it's a rain race, like, you choose. Yeah. Like Dries or wet. Yep. Pick and pick, choose whenever you want. Change whenever you want. Whatever. Just like they do in F1. I think... They're, I think it's kind of that way, but we also do like the, it's declared a wet race or declared a damp race. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Boys. If it's declared a, a damp race, then you can choose dries can choose or wet. But if it's a wet race, you, you have can. to put wets on. I, I say, just, I just want to have somebody in the tower. They have to like burst out of a room and go, I have declared this a wet race. <laughs> do it what you will with your tires. That's what it feels like yeah. on the radio when yeah. they're like, it's been deemed a wet race. Come down and put your windshield wiper on and your tires. Like the office episode. I have declared bankruptcy. It's <laughs> <laughs> not how this works. I got. Can you be that guy, Chuck? I can be. Okay. I can yeah, be. That, you, yeah. you are a NASCAR employee. Yeah. You are the voice you of be that, that guy. You are the voice of the drivers meeting. Key in from wherever over all over columns. the PA. Yeah. I have declared <laughs> this a wet race. They, they've done that. That's what they do when there's like a thunder warning. Yeah. yeah. That's what you need to be. Yeah, please, please seek, seek shelter. shelter. <laughs> I got a question on the 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 first question that you had the D oval the quad oval whatever. Do you think part of that stems from what they saw the success that they saw at Charlotte and what that track did because that was that was the first one of its type right mm -hmm. and was it the success of that the fact that you're wrapping the grand the grandstands pretty much all the way around and then the thought process all right. It worked here. It's got to work everywhere. Yeah, it was a perfect storm. You know, you just in the moment when you're having success at something, you don't ever expect or even plan around that success stopping. You know what I mean? You're going to keep growing, and you get the hay with the sun shining. And then 2008, right? The the bottom drops out of everything, and you're like, oh shit, we got 200,000 seats here at Charlotte. We don't. We're not selling 35,000 grandstand tickets. Well, and you don't also, you, you're not, you know, if you could predict the future, you'd be doing a right. lot of different stuff, but you don't think that the teams are going to work on the cars and make them so aero dependent that they can't race. Yeah. Like that's what essentially we did. We, the teams got so good with their cars, they got so fast, they couldn't race each other. So do you think where things are heading now with different styles of tracks across the board, a little bit of different discipline for each one, does that... I, and there's no way to really like know like what 20 years down the road is going to look like. But right now it feels like that's setting up for more success, for more growth. I think the combination of the flexibility of the sport, just looking at LA Coliseum type venues that now they've invested in the safer barriers for that track that now they can take that and set up another temporary track somewhere else. Like that, whether we go back to the LA Coliseum or we go somewhere else, like we will be racing on a temporary track again, some way in some so form street or fashion, course or whether it's a street course, they've been rumbling about Chicago for a couple of years now, but I think now with what we've learned and what NASCAR has developed with the next gen car, the racing at the mile and a half is, will be better. Uh, it also, it unfortunately is a lot weather dependent. Like I mentioned yeah. earlier, NASCAR can't do anything about that. Right. Their attempt to try to figure that out or help a little bit. Of that was kind of the PJ one. Uh, but you hate to, 
like that's how tight the racing has gotten now, right? Because now you're now you're the difference uh, in 15 degrees of track temperature between a, what a good day would be and what a uh, a bad race, quote unquote, would look like. Uh, so that's how aero dependent they still are. But I think this next gen car is a step in the right direction. We've also gotten rid of two mile and a half tracks, right? We've moved on from Kentucky and we moved on from Chicago. Yep. And and gone to different places. So NASCAR is listening, and, and they they know what's going on. And I'm not by any means anti mile and a half track. Like no. I I like those tracks, and I, they they need to be on the circuit because they serve like it is a it's different disciplines. I want to see different styles of track, and if you rotate it somehow, that like we go back somewhere, but mm-hmm. it's not all that's like. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd love to go back to Chicago. It looks like that's probably gonna get developed into something, but. Yeah, I'd love to go to Kentucky once every three years, not twice a year. I don't want to know? saturate it and, like, lose Correct. the luster of it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, right, like, you that's why, uh, you know, th- there should be some some markets we only go to once. We went to – now we're going to Pocono once. That p- place always had a good turnout to begin with, uh, but it started to dwindle. They went to a doubleheader last year. Now we're going once. I'm sure it's going to be packed out. Uh, Michigan, same way, right? Dover, same way. So I think it's a combination of the networks wanting something new and exciting almost every year, and NASCAR and SMI are also listening to what the fans are wanting, and I think they're doing a pretty good job delivering. That's all we got. There was no penny stacker of the week because I'm sour about our tough run and it, uh, this week, but I was pumped up to talk to my buddy Chase Briscoe. Hope you all enjoyed it. Stack some pennies this week, guys. We'll talk to you after Hotland.